So if that's okay for you, Salome, I would like to start with Terra de Ningen, indeed, No Man's Land, which was the film I was just uh, mentioning. First feature presented at the Berlinale Forum in 2012. I was just wanting to tell you that No Man's Land, it's a film that's very much inscribed, you know, in the history of documentary films dealing with perpetrators. But you know, all of them, they have a way to solve and they all play with different strategies. And maybe we could, you could keep that in mind so we could talk about it later. This film, it all started when I was, I was still back in Amsterdam for my MFA and I had this Skype conversation with a friend who was a sociologist. So he kind of explained me the whole um, situation. And I think that's the genesis of the project. I don't know if I realized it there, but just afterwards. But this idea of someone telling you a story and then I just get very excited about it and it's like, is there a way that I can meet Paolo eventually when I go back? And, um, and there were all this, Miguel was really blocking it. At first he said yes, but then, you know, he feels that, uh, and he's right at a certain extent, that documentary films are evil, you know, and, and he wanted to protect his friend. The genesis of the film was also this uh, broken uh, phone game, you know, or the Chinese whisper game, which is like, you've heard the story, and then you go on telling it to someone else, and then this person will tell it to someone else. So, like, there's several generations of the same story. And, and when you retell it through language, there's something that gets lost on the way. Or something that, you know, when you communicate, you just use your communication skills and more, some people are more talented than others on that. So, and I think that that's also something when I was trying to say, okay, so there's this narrative and it's his um, private narrative, like his individual narrative, and it also resonates with the big history and uh, and it's very obvious you know the bridges there but then am i telling the big history or am i telling you know his little narrative and and how how do i shoot and feel this process and and i think that's very marked with with language and with this process of not only storytelling and i think paulo is a great storyteller so so that there's one thing, like when, it, when I first had this conversation on Skype, I was, I kept thinking first about all this, and then I said, you know, I'm just gonna make a teaser with him, I'm gonna see if he holds in front of the camera, just him. Because, because it's also, because it's also linked with many other situations, like uh, things like, um, you know, am I entitled to say that these things actually happened? Are we looking for the facts? Are we looking, what are the facts? Are the facts false? Are the facts true? You know, how is history built overall and how it crystallizes? And um, and also, you know, the limits of documentary. So, you know, I was, the, the film is a product of that. So it's just, just like telling the story of a single guy, but also trying to reflect on all these issues. And, the, and that was the genesis of the project. 
could you tell us a bit more about how you decided to go for that specific setting and, and for the numbers? For me, Paulo is really a sadist, you know, or that's the way he wants to depict himself. But then what the film does with that chair and with that setting is that, you know, I really step back so I could leave the judgment to the viewer. And, and that is linked to the idea that this is a film, you know, and, and I don't make campaign films, I don't make social dramas, you know, I, I'm just, you know, I, I look for an active uh, spectator. So I really want you to be part of that dialogue. And for you to be part of that dialogue, I really had to empty the frame, you know, and to really clean it in a way that is just you, me, and him. We keep producing images, and, and we're all saturated with, with images. And, and I think that sometimes when Paulo is describing an event, it is much stronger, and, and all the ideas and all our collective memory of violence it, it's way more graphical than any image that I could create to put on the screen or any, you know, archive image that we've been seeing over and over again. So I just leave it to you to fill that void. And I leave it to you to fill the void of how do you place yourself in front of these men. And, and that's also why there are really these short bits of voiceover that I had to include when I looked at the film at the end of the editing because I felt that I really had to have my voice there a bit more explicitly because my all my questions are erased but my questions they were mostly leading to a certain naivety you know it's not again it's not that I didn't do research but I really wanted to keep this um, this but can you please describe it can you please go over again and explain it to me, can you, you know, so every time we would go into more detail and, and I was looking for that. And since the first moment I met Paulo, I knew that the form of the film was actually to leave him alone. So I think the film really tries to, you know, play with the different factors of storytelling in a way that one thing is how you remember a past event and retell it to someone, you know, and there's a whole process of translation involved in that, that deals with memory, that deals with uh, how do you place yourself in front of the person you're talking to, are you charming or not. And Paolo, on a certain number of occasions, he, he's totally aware of the camera and he's like, he's, he's teasing you at the same time. And he, he shares our culture with, uh, with Soho, with, uh, you know, all these um, just uh, comic heroes and, uh, and James Bond, you know, they're like sequences on the film that he really sounds like he's retelling you this James Bond film is like I go in with a motorbike and I go out on the other door and I just bang, 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 I shoot everyone. So he really, he's also playing with that and he's very aware of that. And then he sometimes contradicts himself. But it's, you know, all the contradictions are in the film and, and those contradictions are actually to play with this notion of uh, how is history crystallizing in a way. It's very 
problematic for me because, you know, nowadays it is understood that uh, history is some kind of creative writing and, uh, and you know, it's, it's really played by the ones that write it. The ones that write it, they usually just pay too much attention, you know, to the big events around the world, well, they neglect this, you know, the periods of silence or, or small figures or small players like Paulo. And, um, and what is storytelling per se, you know, how is to charm and how can you actually blend all these three vectors and, and that, that was the intention of actually just you watching the film um, just erasing the border between fact and fiction. There's a metaphor that I keep using and, and there's also this thing with, uh, you know, like for instance journalism and literature and what is the difference between one and the other. And, and we believe in documentaries because they're built upon reality. Going back to the metaphor, if you're building this brick wall, if we remove one or two fictional bricks, then the wall will collapse. So we need these fictional bricks of, uh, to hold the wall, you know, and that's the limits of documentary filmmaking and, and how you can erase this fact and fiction bridge. And of course, I'm not even telling about, you know, power and editing and, you know, the whole language of, of, of film per se. I'm just talking about translation and how can you translate something that is real into film and what what just is involved in that process. When there's a bit of voiceover where I say that, you know, I'm not interested in my truth or his or, or, or someone else's truth. I'm interested in Paulo's truth. And he's actually interested in showing us this is what happened. And there was a moment in the film that he kept calling me and he said, you know, the film worths nothing if I don't get you the documents. And I was like, I never asked for the documents. But that is, that is in the film as a voiceover comment because if there are no documents, there is no history. And the same goes for an ID document and Paulo has no ID. You know, once I, I, I was studying in Prague back then and I, I just, I was just very stupid. I went to Hungary, I just left my ID card at home and I crossed two borders and then on the way back, basically I was nobody and I was in jail for the night until they actually tracked that I was called Salome Lamas and now I had been born in 87. You know, it's like a, you are honestly, nobody if you don't have that paper with you so so i think that is very much what it is and maybe we do need the documents but that goes back to the whole problem with archives and and uh, and how do you select and and when do you open archives for researchers and why do you close them and when are you entitled to actually you know do that and who has the power to select information and all that thing but, and I was wondering if it's been for you difficult to be sitting next to him, opposite to him, and, and asking him those questions, or if you were like really prepared for what you were going to hear, how that kind of uh, happened. 
We arranged for five days of shooting and I knew that during those five days I would be sitting in front of Paolo. Without really preparing myself to that, you know, there was a script I had to talk with him before. I wanted not to be prepared for it because I, I, would, I would like to react to it. I just wanted to sit there and there's a mirror effect that it's created within the frames. It's hard to tell who's making what for the film. What am I making for the film and what is Paolo making for the film? And I think you, as, as a viewer, you, as I said before, you try to project yourself within the conversation. And that's, that's a kind of desire that I also have the desire of, of portraying that, that, that whole situation. So how do we deal with, with the responsibility? I really see it as a triangle. So there's a filmmaker, there's the spectator, and there's the, the reality you are portraying. And, uh, and I feel as responsible for you as an audience as I feel for the things I'm representing. And for me it's very important to, deal, to be as honest as possible. So you know, when I have doubts, I, I might want to trick you, but in the end, the trick's going to be there for you to find out. So it's always about laying the cards down. The same with, with the things that you're portraying, is like, it's a transaction. And this was very important for me for this film, which was, um, there was a, a moment that Paolo told me, you know, I'm using you to tell my story. And I said, you know, that's actually, that, that's great because I'm using you to make a film, you know. And, and this balance will always be unfair because it will always be unbalanced and the power will always fall into the filmmaker. But it's a good starting point, you know. And also allowing an interview and allowing my character to have a voice and to choose the way he wants to be. Uh, sitting in front of you, it was also part of those concerns. I think what Paolo is asking us is how we live so comfortable and so cynically within democracy nowadays. Because him as a mercenary, it's not about left or right. You know, it's about economic interests and power and someone is there to do the job and, and if it's not another mercenary who will do it, you know. Yeah, it's just, it's like it really plays with, with democracy and, and with, but in a very radical way. So let's, let's watch the third excerpt and then we move on to the Apontamento, March 2012. Paulo não tem qualquer documento de identificação. Não consigo encontrar registro oficial algum em seu nome. Embora os acontecimentos que descreve sejam dispares dos relatados, apresentam pontos de semelhança gritantes. Quem é Paulo de Figueiredo? 